You're listening to KVMR FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino. It's 6 p.m. and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. I'm Claudio Mendonça. What's in a name? The California report says that state health officials plan to avoid using the term monkeypox when describing the disease, and that the Department of Public Health has issued new isolating guidelines for people who have been exposed to the virus. National Native News takes us to Wyoming to learn about Lynette Gray Bull, a northern Arapaho woman who won the Democratic Party's nomination for Wyoming's U.S. House seat. Sid Brown is here to share the latest and greatest from Western Nevada County's three state parks. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. The California Department of Public Health is issuing new home isolation guidance for people with confirmed or suspected cases of monkeypox. The guidelines include information on when a person should remain at home, resume outdoor activities, and return to work. State Public Health Director Dr. Thomas Aragon says the state's guidelines are more detailed than the CDC's national recommendations. The general CDC guidelines basically says to stay home until your lesions have completely healed over with uh, new skin. And part of the problem is, is that some people have lesions that are very limited on their body. Aragon says as long as the lesions are covered up and there's no risk to others, people can resume normal activities, though there are separate recommendations for those who work in higher-risk settings. As of late last week, the state has reported more than 2,600 probable and confirmed cases of monkeypox. More than 600 are in San Francisco. L.A. County has confirmed over 1,000 cumulative cases. State health officials also say moving forward, they'll avoid using the term monkeypox when describing describing the transmissible virus and instead use the term mpox. A reason for the change hasn't been given by the state, but the World Health Organization has called for a new term for the virus to make it less stigmatizing and discriminatory. California is adding Georgia to its already lengthy list of states where publicly funded travel is banned because of anti-LGBTQ legislation. KQED's Holly J. McDeed reports. The travel restrictions come in response to a bill passed by Georgia lawmakers earlier this year that allows the state's athletic association to ban transgender girls from competing in girls' sports. State Attorney General Rob Bonta says blocking transgender youth from playing sports is both discriminatory and government overreach. California lawmakers passed a law in 2016 that restricts travel to states that adopt laws or repeal protections for LGBTQ plus people. Since then, California has banned state-funded travel in nearly half of all states in the country. For the California Report, I'm Holly McDeed. Let's turn to transportation. Both the Biden administration and California have big goals when it comes to getting more people to drive electric vehicles as a way to fight climate change. And you've likely heard about some of the obstacles in the way of those goals, like the cost and availability of EVs. But there's another challenge to wide EV adoption that doesn't get nearly as much attention. It's the kind of housing millions of people live in and whether they can find or install electric vehicle charging stations there. I heard a lot about that at a recent electric vehicle expo in Long Beach. And here's where you can feel the instant torque if you want to go ahead and give it a little power on the accelerator pedal. 
Got a zero to 60 in about 4.6 seconds. I was sitting in the back seat as prospective EV buyer Mike Maynard test drove an all-electric Kia with a sales rep from the company. How's it feel? It's nice. It's very smooth. No engine noise compared to a standard traditional engine, but it's very smooth. But when we finished the test drive, Mike, who's a renter, said he probably couldn't buy an EV until he moved. You know, I live in a multifamily apartment complex. Being able to charge at home overnight may not be as easy as someone who has a single-family home and a, and a garage that they can go home to. That is a real-world thing that Absolutely. you would have to deal with. Absolutely. It's, it is the number one barrier at this point to buying an EV. Electric vehicle industry analyst Lauren McDonald says Mike's problem of not having chargers in his apartment building could affect lots of other California renters. There are people who'd like to buy an EV, but don't have a place to plug in and charge when they come home. Really about half of the people in the state live in apartments, condos, or homes where they don't have access to conveniently charge just plugging in at home every night and waking up in the morning with a full full battery. And I think that limits like the growth of the market. Unlike people who own their own homes, renters have to negotiate with apartment building owners about installing EV chargers. Chargers that could cost upwards of $3,000 each and might require pricey electrical upgrades in older buildings. John Schott with charging station company ChargePoint says that makes a lot of apartment owners hesitant to install chargers. So typically there's some, you know, maybe concern or or hesitancy to do that until um, they see demand for charging stations at their properties. So they have, you know, tenants or prospective tenants who have electric vehicles and want to charge their vehicles. There might be nobody currently who has an EV, or there could just be a single person. So, uh, you know, I think it's it's kind of a chicken and egg thing. But there are apartment buildings whose owners have made the leap and installed EV chargers, some because of rebate programs offered by utility companies like Southern California Edison, others because they see chargers as an amenity more tenants will demand in the future. How important was having a charger here in your decision to buy an electric vehicle? Very important. That's renter Christian Villaseca. He and his partner Nurhan Babazadeh purchased an EV last year, but only after they found an apartment building that already had chargers installed. It's very convenient to charge the car at home. Like at night, you charge the car, you have it ready for the next day. So. Would you have an EV? Uh, would that have been more of a decision if you didn't have the charger where you live? I think I would yeah. think about it twice. Yeah, absolutely. And it's crazy because two years ago, I would have never thought that that would be such a big deciding factor for us. But now it's definitely, yeah, it's like having a laundry machine at home. Looking ahead, the state of California has partnered with ChargePoint to install EV chargers in multifamily home dwellings, with 75% of the units reserved for buildings in low-income communities. But if millions of more California motorists who also rent are going to be encouraged to drive EVs, much more will need to be done to install chargers in apartment buildings across the state. Support for the California Report comes from the California Healthcare Foundation working to build a more effective, compassionate, and just healthcare system on the web at chcf.org slash health-equity. Hint, fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories. In stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, 
Coming this fall, the launch of research vessel FALCOR-2, advancing the frontiers of ocean science and exploration on the web at schmidtocean.org. And that is the California Report for Monday, August 22nd. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. Remember, we have a daily podcast. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening. Incumbent Liz Cheney's loss to pro-Trump candidate Harriet Hageman got most of the media coverage when it comes to last week's primary election in Wyoming. But tonight, National Native News covers the Democratic nomination of Lynette Gray Bull, the first Native person to run for Congress in that state. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The Montana Supreme Court has found that the Bureau of Indian Affairs could be held liable for a sexual assault committed by one of its officers on the Northern Cheyenne Reservation. Aaron Bolton has more. According to court documents, in 2015, BIA officer Dana Bullcoming threatened to jail a woman for violating local alcohol laws at her home and used that threat to pressure her for sex. Bullcoming was later convicted for the sexual assault, but the woman, known only as LB, later filed a civil suit for damages. The judge in that case did award some damages, but found that the BIA can't be held liable, as the assault was outside of Bullcoming's official duties. Both federal district and appeals courts agreed, but the case was then passed to the Montana State Supreme Court last year. Montana's highest court found that Bullcoming used his official capacity to coerce someone into sex and that the BIA can be held liable. For National Native News, I'm Aaron Bolton. A Native woman won the Democratic nomination in Wyoming's primary last week for the U.S. House and will face Republican Harriet Hageman after Congresswoman Liz Cheney lost her seat. Wyoming Public Radio's Taylor Stagner reports. Lynette Grable won the Democratic Party's nomination for Wyoming's U.S. House seat. Grable won the nomination in 2020 against Cheney as well. She says she's ready to fight for that seat again. It's definitely a David and Goliath type of campaign. Grable is Northern Arapaho and resides on the Wind River Reservation. She wants to use her platform to shed light on the importance of renewable energy and social issues. I want to gear my campaign towards values. Family values, values that concern humanity, values that concern the marginalized communities, such as the indigenous community and the LGBTQ two-spirit community. Grable says it's important to her to give voters in Wyoming a choice and that Hageman is spreading misinformation about former President Donald Trump winning the 2020 election. The two will go against each other in November. For National Native News, I'm Taylor Stagner. The Canadian government has agreed to release Catholic entities from their pledge to raise $25 million for residential school survivors. As Dan Karpinchuk reports, Indigenous leaders and some legal experts are questioning the decision. The deal was made in 2015 but was not widely publicized. It meant Ottawa, under the previous Conservative government, agreed to forever discharge 48 Catholic Church entities from paying the $25 million in compensation to residential school survivors, a commitment that was made in 2006. It also agreed to pick up their legal bill. The Catholic Church raised only $4 million and is off the hook for the remainder. At least one Indigenous leader says the request to discharge the pledge came from the Catholic Church after it said it couldn't raise the money. Percy Lazard is with the Indigenous Studies Program at Wilfrid Laurier University. 
it undermines this the 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 labor of six thousand um, folks who were brave enough under the conditions of colonialism to come forward and share their experiences in the 126 years of Indian residential schools. Indigenous leaders have questioned why the Canadian government gave up its appeal of a court decision in which Catholic entities were let off the hook for paying their remaining financial obligations under the Indian Residential School Settlement Agreement. Crown Indigenous Relations Minister Mark Miller had said he would find out why the government abandoned its appeal. But some Native leaders say it's unlikely that Ottawa can compel the Catholic entities to meet their financial obligations. For National Native News, I'm Dan Karpinchuk. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the Colorado Plateau Foundation. Supporting Native-led initiatives protecting lands, waters, and cultures by building networks, community, and organizational capacity. Proposals accepted through September 1st at coloradoplateaufoundation.org. Support by BNSF Railway, proudly supporting the nation's economy by moving the goods that feed, supply, and power communities across the country. More at bnsf.com slash tribal relations. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. In local news, law enforcement officials announced this morning that while they have yet to officially confirm the identity of the body found inside of a vehicle, which was discovered upside down in about 14 feet of water at Prosser Creek Reservoir on Sunday, it's likely that of Kylie Rodney, the 16-year-old from Truckee who went missing earlier this month. This morning at a news conference, Nevada County Sheriff Shannon Moon said, quote, we believe it is our missing person. It's more than likely, end of quote. A volunteer dive team known as Adventures with Purpose located a Honda CRV in the reservoir near Prosser Family Campground, the site of a party at which Kylie was last seen alive. According to the San Francisco Chronicle, Adventures with Purpose is an Oregon company that specializes in search and rescue dives for missing persons and property and earns its money through donations, sponsorships, rewards, branded merchandise sales, and online videos. Doug Bishop, a representative of that company, says that the Adventures with Purpose team found the vehicle around 55 feet offshore at around 11.15 a.m. on Sunday using boats equipped with sonar. Turning now to regional weather and air quality, in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight clear skies and a low around 64. Tuesday will be sunny with a high near 94. Tuesday night, clear again, with a low around 65 degrees. The air quality index for Grass Valley and Nevada City is 20, satisfactory, posing little or no risk. In Truckee and the Lake Tahoe area, tonight clear with a low around 47. Tuesday will be sunny with a high near 84. Tuesday night, Truckee and the Lake Tahoe area will cool to a low around 49 degrees. 
The AQI in Truckee is currently satisfactory, posing little to no risk with a value of 7. And in Sacramento and the surrounding valley, tonight will be clear with a low around 64. Tuesday will be sunny and hot with a high near 99. Tuesday night will see a low around 62 degrees. The air quality in Sacramento is also currently satisfactory with an AQI value of 33. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Every other week, Sid Brown of Sierra Gold Parks Foundation joins us to share news about Western Nevada County's three state parks in a segment that we call A Walk in the Park. Sierra Gold Parks Foundation is the nonprofit that supports all three Western Nevada County state parks. That's Malakoff Diggins State Historic Park, Empire Mine State Historic Park, and South Yuba River State Park. You know, all three parks are open all year round, and there's no time of year where it's not a good time to visit any of those three parks. And as I've said before, you know, you can actually go to all three in a single day and certainly in a single weekend. They're easily, there's could be kind of like a little grand loop you can do. And I encourage you to do that if you haven't seen all three parks. But Certainly, it's important to spend enough time at each one, so I don't want to give anybody short shrift. There's something to do at each of these three very unique resources here in Nevada County. You know, at Malakoff Diggins State Historic Park, the campground is open through Labor Day. It's a beautiful little campground, and there are beautiful trails, even in this hot summer weather, especially, you know, early in the day or late in the day is better advised for for using them. But there are some really nice overlooks that you can access from your car off of North Bloomfield Road and from the campground. At South Yuba River State Park, if you haven't been to the bridge that has been recently opened after uh, many years of being closed and reconstructed and, and updated and renovated, I highly recommend a visit to Bridgeport. That's off of Pleasant Valley Road. This time of year, from the middle, well, from late morning on, there's a lot of, um, the parking lots are often full. And I do want to remind people to please obey the no parking signs and to not uh, obstruct traffic. If there's a no parking sign, I'm afraid you may get a very um, hefty ticket. So we recommend you uh, obey the signs, park in the parking lot, you should be fine. Early in the morning is always best. I've had some wonderful experiences just going down to the South Yuba, you know, 8.30 in the morning, 9 o'clock. You can have the river to yourself. The water is clear. It's just a real beautiful time to experience nature. It's hot right now, but the nights are cooling down, and the river temperature is, is getting a little bit cooler. But we still have quite a few weeks available still for some really wonderful water experience in the South Yuba. We do remind folks to be safe in the water, no jumping, no diving. I've heard of people jumping off the bridge. 
very highly discouraged, and not only discouraged, but it's illegal and dangerous. So we really want to make sure that your experience at the river is is safe and that you are mindful of your activities and how they influence other people. Don't want to be putting up a bad model for other younger river users. Let's uh, be safe, be sane, and live to tell another day and come back again. At South Yuba River State Park, not only at Bridgeport, there are trails at Point Defiance and Buttermilk Bend Trail. There's a new trail down off of the Independence Trail West. Most of Independence Trail West is closed due to the Jones Fire a couple of years ago, but there is a new newly constructed trail that takes you more directly and safely down to the river at Jones Bar. So you can park at the Independence Trailhead, cross Highway 49 or go underneath it under that culvert area and then follow the signs down to Jones Bar. want to remind people, you know, garbage as people use the river. They often take, you know, snacks or material with them. Hopefully it's inadvertently, but inevitably we find garbage. And we don't really have garbage cans and reliable garbage pickups. So please, I urge everybody who goes to the river to whatever you bring, bring it out with you and dispose of it properly at your home location. Pack it in, pack it out. That's a real important ethic to to keep in mind always. And I think I've said this before, I always take a, a, a plastic bag and, and try to bring out more than what I started out with. There's always, a, I'm afraid uh, to say, I hate to say, more material there, evidence of other people spending time at the river. And speaking of River Circle is having their annual river cleanup coming up in September. And this time, as is last year, it's going to be more than a single day, but a week of of local cleanup and then an actual uh, year-end cleanup and party on the 17th of September. So from September 10th to 17th is a special cleanup time. You can register with South Yuba River Citizens League and sign up to be part of a cleanup team at yubariver.org. At Empire Mine, we do have garden tours every Saturday and Wednesday morning. And again, at Empire, you know, the trails are used all the time. The inner core is only open, I believe, from 10 until 5, but the trails are open from sunrise to sunset. And as I see people on the trails at Empire, there are equestrians, there are bicyclists, there are hikers, there are strollers, there are moms and dads with infants on the front and on their back. And it's just a real treasure of of a park um, that is well-loved and well-used. I do want to remind folks that, again, Parking is an issue at all of these three parks. We want to make sure we park in designated locations. Garbage is an issue. And the final reminder is about fires. We have no fires allowed in the canyon, in the river, at South Yuba, at Malakoff Diggins, in the campground and designated campfire rings. At this time, campfires are still allowed, but absolutely no barbecues in the picnic areas. This is a time of year when fire is heavy on our hearts and, and 
on our minds. So please remember to be very mindful of your activities. Remind others around you if you see somebody maybe forgetting the rules. And uh, let's uh, keep our, our environment clean and safe and thriving for another time. Well, that's it for now for Sierra Gold Parks Foundation and a walk in the park, and we will keep you posted of upcoming events next time. That's the KVMR Evening Newscast for August 22nd, 2022. Head over to our website, kvmr.org, to listen to an extended version of A Walk in the Park and other news stories, or simply subscribe to the KVMR News Podcast to have them delivered directly to your phone or computer. KVMR is independent and supported by listeners and local businesses like Ben Franklin Crafts locally owned and helping with back-to-school products. For arts and crafts, home decor, school projects, and knitting, Ben Franklin Crafts is on Sutton Way in Grass Valley. Online at benfranklin-crafts.com. And 1849 Brewing Company, brewing lagers, ales, IPAs, and stout. Offering a pub-style menu with wood-fired pizza, weekly live music, billiards, and an outdoor patio. Open daily at 11 on Sutton Way, Grass Valley, 1849brewingco.com. I'm Claudio Mendonça. Thanks for listening. Have a great evening, and we'll see you tomorrow.